0: now over to Pastor Steve
1: 2025 years ago there was something that changed the life of a young lady a young family a small town a nation, and a world. Jesus was born approximately 4 B.C. There was a little bit of a math error by a preacher in around 524 A.D. And I know that you guys are thinking, preachers never make mistakes. Especially something so big that they'd actually mess up all the time, but every once in a while, a preacher can make a mistake. Any of you that have been at Beloved Church for any length of time, (laughs) I I applaud you for not guffawing on the floor. The early Christians were predominantly, at the very beginning, Jewish. They were obviously, Jesus came to the house of Israel first. They rejected him, and so then the message was taken to the Gentiles. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Paul was a a major mover and shaker as it related to getting the good news of Jesus Christ into a secular world. But because the the early church was predominantly made up of Hebrews and Jewish folks, some of the customs, some of the ways that things were done, they took on a Jewish flair or flavor. Uh, One thing that people don't know about Hebrew uh, Orthodox Jews is they do not celebrate birthdays. They believe it's arrogant and prideful. Amen. There's a bunch of folks in the room that are like trying to sit as low in their chair as they possibly can because you, like, you have to be celebrated. I've met people that have to have a birthday week. I know people that have a birthday month where they have to be celebrated incessantly. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that the folks that, uh, came from the quote unquote religion that God started, Specifically, we're warned not to celebrate yourself. Oh boy. If you didn't know about Beloved Church before you came today, things happen like that all the time, where I say something and then it gets real quiet, and then if you don't, the rules are, if you don't, like, yelp, then nobody will know that it hits you. The way that you find out which dog in a pack of dogs got hit is you throw the rock and the dog that yelps is the one that got hit. So as long as you don't yelp, nobody will know that anything I'm saying has anything to do with you. You can be really holy, really spiritual. You can look at the guy next to you and say, yep, that's right, that was for you. <laughs> the earlier believers were way more interested in dates when they associated them to the feast days. So in other words, uh, what would would normally happen is, let's say I was born... Um, Four days after Passover, then uh, people would ask me how old am I? I would be Passover plus four days, and then people would figure out that that was my birthday. So you would measure things based upon feast days or based upon celebration of God days. Jesus was born to die. And because of that, everything in his life had an intimate connection with all things God that came before him. Everything in the Old Testament was a type and shadow pointing towards Jesus. If you read the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus, all you did was read a comic book. But if you see Jesus over and over and over and over, then you're going to have an understanding of what God created for you and I to, under, to, uh, to experience. So Jesus was crucified on Passover, Those of you that are familiar with the Old Testament, Passover was when all the firstborn men died. And the only way that you didn't die was that you put blood on your doorposts of a spotless lamb, and the family was in the house consuming the lamb. And that was the day that Jesus died, was on the celebration of that day. Everyone that had blood over their doorposts and were consuming the lamb did not have death in their homes. While he was in the tomb, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was taking place. Those of you that are familiar with that, Unleavened Bread is where you take bread, you have no yeast in it. Yeast represents sin, so it's a flat bread. And in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would actually hide a piece of bread in between other breads as if it was uh, something to be sought out and found and that was the feast that while Jesus was in the tomb or you could say while Jesus was in hell suffering for you and I the resurrection is celebrated by the G, the Jewish feast days of the feast of first fruits which is a celebration of all of uh, that God gave us in bounty specifically it's the it's the ripening season it is what uh, the, um, the crops, if you, if you went into a new field and you planted crops, the first fruits that came out of that brand new field would be celebrated as first fruits. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. People before Jesus were raised from the dead. We've seen people raised from the dead in here. The resurrection of Jesus is different than someone just being raised from the dead. Jesus was the first person ever to be resurrected to life, never to die again. And he was raised as a new creation of God. Just because a paramedic resuscitates someone in an ambulance doesn't mean that they're born again and they're raised in the image of God. It was not until large numbers of Gentiles being born again did we actually started celebrating the actual birth of Christ and specifically on December 25th. And, and I know there's been jillions of hours of people arguing over whether it was December 25th or not. And here, here's uh, just let me help you out a little bit. It was. There you go. Uh, the way that we know that is that the Bible says so. And I know you're probably thinking like, where does the Bible say that? If you do math, again, not like a preacher math, the one that's, that's screwed up, but if you do actual math, you'll figure out that the day that Elizabeth was pregnant was enumerated six months later because that was the day that Gabriel came to Mary and told Mary to go see Elizabeth. And if you, and if you back up six months and you, and you figure out when Elizabeth was impregnated, which you can figure out because of the, the way that David set up the worship in the temple because Zechariah was doing uh his job in the temple during the courses of Abijah and then that's when Elizabeth got pregnant and so then you go 6 months and that's when Mary got pregnant and then you do so. so the bottom line is Jesus was conceived on March 25th which makes December 25th his birthday and uh in history, we see that these dates were enumerated as well multiple times. In fact, there is record of the first Christmas on, on record being celebrated around 150 A.D., middle, sec, middle, uh, century, middle of the 2nd century, in Antioch, which is present-day Turkey. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Jesus has a, a footprint in nearly every place in our world, whether you like it or not. Uh, there's some arguments about Christmas being right near the winter solstice, and then there were some pagan holidays that were around the winter solstice. One of them called Yule, which is where you get the song Tide and Yule Logs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just so you know, Yule was first celebrated between 375 and 425 A.D., and obviously Christmas was being celebrated back in the middle of the second century A.D., so Honestly, there's a, there's a lot of secularists out there that are saying that Christians stole Yule and turned it into Christmas. The actual opposite is true. We were celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior who came and saved all of humanity, and then the pagans said, man, we can't let this go on. Let's invent some stuff and take it from the Christians. And so, if those of you that have a problem with Christmas trees and, and all the different ways that we celebrate Christmas, you don't understand the full history. The Christmas tree came from definite Christian themes. The pri- the prizes. The, <laughs> the gifts. <laughs> gifts, prizes. The gifts that are under the tree. The way we decorate the tree. All of these have uh, Christians in their heritage. I'm not saying that they're all worthy of worship and worthy of honor. I'm just saying that if you're... If you're so anti-Christmas because of all the different ways that we go into celebrating it, that you can't actually enjoy and have the peace and have the, and have the opportunity to uh, encounter God and encounter people in your life because you're worried about some kind of random pagan thing that you probably haven't even researched, you just need to get over it and enjoy the day, enjoy the time, and enjoy the celebration because the whole world actually stops on Christmas Day, and recognizes that there was a Savior that came to earth, and He was God. And it, it bothers me that there's a bunch of Christians, well, I can't celebrate Christmas because da 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 pagan and, and other stuff. I'm like, oh my God, get over yourself, celebrate Jesus, the rest of the world is, a bunch of pagans are celebrating Jesus on this day, the least you can do as a Christian is celebrate Jesus on this day. I love it. I walk around stores and I see, I see people singing songs about Jesus who, I can speculate, probably don't have a whole lot of Jesus. All the people that are nodding, you know exactly what I'm saying. So when Christianity was birthed, it was literally birthed, birthed into persecution. What happened to Jesus was the beginning of what Christ ends Experienced. And the reason I say Christ ends is because you are not a Christian because your parents were. You're not a Christian because you're sitting in a church. Sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian anymore. Sitting in a donut shop makes you a Long John. Long They're called Long Johns. I
0: was like, man, that's underwear. But it's both.
1: This is, this is why some preachers use notes. They, they, they have notes and they read stuff and then they don't make stupid mistakes. Um, so, just because, you, uh, just because you have a Christmas tree at your house doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents were a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you live in America, a Christian nation, doesn't make you a Christian. The only thing that makes you a Christian is you, on purpose, inviting Christ into your home, which is your heart. Where you live. And you encounter Him. And and I know that there are people in this room that that is not true. And I'm not condemning you. I'm not shaming you. I'm not guilting you. I'm just saying that call a spade a spade. Call things that are real, real. And if you've never on purpose, with your heart, invited Christ to come and be a part of all of your life, All of your life. He was Lord at His birth. All of heaven, like, literally, like, went crazy over the fact that Jesus showed up on this earth. And the fact that many people can ignore Him. Amen. Uh, I I had an analogy. I don't know if I can say it. I get more temptations in the church while I'm preaching <laughs> uh, a lot of a lot of people honestly treat Jesus like a roll of toilet paper when you need it it's really good to have it it's really necessary in life you will go way out of your way to make sure you got it But actually valuing it when you have it is on display by the way you treat it. In 313, we have what's called the Edict of Milan. And this is when the Roman Empire that was for the last basically 300 years persecuting Christians. This is how you know that uh, many in the first church were authentic Christians versus what we have now. You persecute a believer in today's world, like, just say, like, how, how dare you go to church on Christmas? <laughs> Don't you know there's better things to do? Um, which is not even persecution. Uh, but you can find out how authentic someone is in experiencing persecution. In Roman days, they would take Christians, they would arrest them, they would, obviously, you've probably heard of the Colosseums, they would throw them to animals, they would impale them on stakes up there and uh, set them on fire in the middle of Colosseums while everybody clapped. It was kind of like football games. And uh, there was a common practice among the Roman uh, elitists. We've had elitists uh, in the world long before the Democrat Party. The... Uh, the, elite, the Rhinos too. If, if you got a problem with the Democrats, then we've got, we got Rhinos too. They're as bad on both sides, and they're elites on both sides, and they all need to go to jail. Anyway, uh, in, the, in that day, the elitists would go and get these folks, and they would put them on poles while they would have drunken orgies, and they would set them on fire. And it would, they would call them Roman candles, which is where you and I get Roman candles from on the 4th of July. It came from the practice of getting Christians and setting them on fire to illuminate their drunken orgies. And in 313, what happened was Emperor Constantine and some other people in Rome actually had people come in and minister the gospel to them, and they got born again. And so the edict of Milan was, we are no longer going to persecute Christians like we have been doing since the beginning of Christianity. And then shortly thereafter, there was the Edict of Constantine, which was in 331 A.D., and the Edict of Constantine said that in Rome, Christianity is the official language. This is where our founding fathers created the First Amendment that says no state will make a religion. Because what happened in Rome after Christianity was forced to be a religion for all people was devastating to authentic Christianity, just like it is today. If you have to drag yourself into a church service to worship Jesus, you probably need to rethink the eternity of your life. After, uh, after that, on 336, so his Edict of Constantine was 321. On 336, uh, Emperor Constantine celebrated as a national holiday Christmas, which is way before anything that we have uh, any pagan holidays that we see on that. So that's just proving that there was something really important about December 25th. And if we carry this through, I want to show you some things that were very particular about December 25th that maybe you didn't understand uh, prior to today. So if you didn't know you were kind of coming to a Christian history lesson, whatever. <laughs> it's not going to be that. We're going to give an opportunity for Christ to come into your life before I'm done. I promise. Uh, in 496, Clovis, king of France, or actually king of the Franks, uh, was baptized with 3,000 of his soldiers on Christmas Day. The name Clovis evolved into Louis, and we had 22 French kings that were named King Louis, or King Louis. On 526, during the reign of Christian Emperor Justinian, the scholarly monk I can't even say his name. His last name is Exegus. If you can say it better than me, you can come up and help me. Thought it was inappropriate that the dates were still being recorded in relation to the reign of an anti-Christian tyrant who was known as Diocleses. And Diocle- uh, the Diocletan uh, way of keeping time was called Diocletian, A.D., which meant in the reign of Diocletes. And so this monk, this preacher, Amen. I don't. Nobody's ever called me a monk, but I'm close. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, he thought it was wrong that we were keeping time based upon a jerk, and so he's like, you know, we should keep time based upon Jesus. And so he changed it from Anno Domini to Anno Domini, which is the year of our Lord. And then he went back to what he thought was the birth of Christ, and we started keeping track. And now we have 2021 AD, the year of our Lord, 2021. Problem is, he did math off by about four years. But it's okay. We'll still keep the AD. The point of what I'm saying is that Christmas Day literally separated all of time. Every time somebody said, every time you write a date on a check, your heart is telling you, hey, there's a Lord, and you're actually keeping time by his birth. Every time the world celebrates any dates, every time they, uh, they drop the ball, and, well, I guess they don't do that anymore because COVID killed the ball, but every time they, they try to have some celebration about a new year, they are, they are, uh, accidentally celebrating the fact that there is a Lord and we keep time by His Him showing up in our lives and in our hearts. The reason I annotate this is because it would be beneficial for you to embrace everything that has happened in all of human history and have the same Lord that lords over time, Lord over your life and your heart. On Christmas Day 800 A.D., Charlemagne was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor in Rome, Italy. On Christmas Day, 1000 A.D. is where St. Stephen was crowned King of Hungary. Okay, come on. You know how much research I did for this? St. Stephen? King? You guys should be like, Oh, you're... No, 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 no. That's a welfare clap. (laughs) Okay, the reason I bring this up is because St. Stephen's son, Stephen's son, Stephenson County, Stephen's son uh, was St. Emerick, whose name... All right. Stay with me. Whose name in Italian is Amerigo... And he was the namesake of Amerigo Vespucci, the explorer, map maker, maker for whom the continent of America was... So if it wasn't for St. Stephen being a king, we wouldn't even have America. Alright, alright, alright. That's okay. Stay with me. On July 4th, 1837, our sixth President of the United States, John Quincy Adams, said, In the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. That's a president. Do <laughs> you imagine if a president would say that now? He also said, It forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. A president of the United States says that the formation of our nation had something to do with the gospel going forth. My, my, how we have changed. One of the greatest Christmas miracles that we have recorded in history is what's commonly referred to as Washington's Christmas miracle. Those of you that are not hip to the jive... Uh, may not know that in 1776 we were fighting for our lives literally as a nation. We were at war with the largest superpower in the world at that time, and we were a fledgling, underfunded, under-equipped uh, group of rebels that were led by a bunch of preachers. Yeah. And it, Amen. And if you think I'm making stuff up because I'm a preacher, go check it out. The Black Robe Regiment... The British said that the reason that they lost the war was because of the Black Robe Regiment. It was because of passionate <clears throat> biblical preachers who stood up, contradicting culture, contradicting lawlessness, that you are an American today. If you enjoy being an American today, you should thank a preacher. <laughs> On December, what? <laughs> I feel very thanked after that one hand clap and, and two head nods. December 1776 was one of the darkest times for America. Hyperinflation. We were printing our own money. Anybody knows what happens when you start printing money and you ain't got nothing to back it up? Yeah. Anybody paying attention? Yeah. The same thing happened then. We had hyperinflation that was gripping the economy. Washington's army had lost every battle. Imagine being an American at that time. You're like, yeah, but we have Washington. Oh, you lost everything. Yeah, so anyway. The attitude of the country was rapidly changing or declining from from optimism to pessimism. Uh, The American troops had dwindled from a high at one point of 20,000. Now they're down to 2,400. People were fleeing the a revolution of liberty and freedom by the thousands. And just so everybody is aware, the reason that we are a country of liberty and freedom today is because 3% of the population in that day actually fought for it. 3%. Atypical of today, 3% of America actually cares about the direction of America. The rest of the folks are just basically hanging on. Hoping and a-praying that things will get better. When it gets better, you need to make sure you go and find those 3%. Many of them are in this room and thank them that they actually fought when you were busy on Candy Crush. The attitude of the country uh, was not what it once was. It would be the same as if you you thought about how life was going like, I don't know, 2018, 2019, and how it is today. Because I'll guarantee that this room has many people in it that you have probably lost some hope. That you have embraced some pessimism towards the attitude of our country. Towards the direction of our country. Towards the direction of your own life. You've watched uh, crazy amounts of sickness and disease and oppression and depression. Right now, 58% of America is on medication. 58% is on medication. In Revelation, it says that the way that the enemy is going to take over the world is through pharmakia. That is a Greek word, pharmakia. It's the exact same word for your pharmacist and your pharmacy. That is the way the enemy is going to work his way into people's lives and hearts. And if you're you're on medication, I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you that is the reason that they are trying to push... Uh, the COVID uh, nonsense, and also the vaccine nonsense. The American troops uh, were obviously, the, the few that were left, were really not too excited about still being on the battlefield after they had lost everything. But on Christmas, General Washington found grace and was given a divine gift. During the fall of 1776, the British issued what was called an amnesty proclamation. And they offered to pardon all of the soldiers that were in America. Anybody that had done anything anti-British was willing to be pardoned if they would come and basically bow to the king's uh, minions and kiss the ring. And I know you're thinking like, no way, we're Americans. Uh, thousands of American soldiers literally walked off the battlefield to go and find a king's representative so that they could make amends with the powers that be. They gave up their rights, their liberties, and their freedoms, and fighting for it so they could be in good stead with the powers. Thousands, including several members of Congress, Amen. I know you're shocked to hear that a congressperson was terrible. One disgusted American patriot recalled, To the disgrace of the country and human nature, great numbers flocked to confess their political sins to the representatives of the majesty and to obtain pardon. It was observed that these consisted of the very rich and the very poor, while the middling class held their constancy. If you appreciate being an American today, you should thank someone in the middle class. Making matters worse, most of the enlistments for the Continental Army expired on January 1st, 1777. So of the 24 2,400 soldiers that General Washington had left, they all expired their contracts on January 1st. And this is December. The looming prospect of disaster seemed to spur Americans into action. And some even believe that such a crisis was necessary to give people the proper motivation to fight. Dr. Benjamin Rush said, Our republic cannot exist long in prosperity. We require adversity and appear to possess most of the republican spirit when most depressed. It's amazing. You'll put up with stuff until you won't. You'll put up with stuff until you won't. And some of you are nowhere near that limit. You are well, you are free to put up with as much as you want to put up with. But I'm here to tell you that maybe you need to make today be your limit. Maybe it's not okay what's going on in our world. Maybe it's not okay what's being happening, what's happening to you, what's happening to your country, what's happening to your family, what's happening to your body, what's happening to your mind. Maybe it's just not okay. And and maybe you can put up with it. Maybe you're fine. Maybe not. That December, 245 years ago, to the day, marked a period where American, where Americans from all demographics came together to alter the course of human history in a great counteroffensive on Christmas night. One of uh, one of the Surgeon General for the Army came into the tent of General Washington that night on Christmas night. And General Washington was writing th- uh, three words on little pieces of paper over and over and over. And uh, the general, the Surgeon General, realized that General Washington was like in a very pious moment. And when uh, General Washington moved around, he dropped one of the pieces of paper, and the Surgeon General picked it up. And on it was the code word that only the top-ranking officials in the army would know about, because this was going to be. An activity of some of the most important uh, military adventures that have ever taken place in the history of our country. And those three words were liberty or victory or death. That was the password that you could get through the lines that night. General Washington decided to take on Christmas night all of his soldiers across the Delaware River And march nine miles to Trenton, New Jersey, where the Hessens, who were hired by the British, and the Hessens was like a mercenary force, and they were incredibly powerful. They were world-renowned for their ability to do military conquest. And so General Washington came up with this plan that he would take everybody across the frozen Delaware River, and by everybody, 2,400 soldiers, many of whom had no Uh, shoes socks boots anything it was a blizzard there was ice on both sides of the of the delaware that they had to break through with the durham boats they had to push their way across the the ice floating down the channel they uh it that most of them did not know how to swim and so if you fell over fell off the boat you died it took him he anticipated getting done at midnight. It took them until four o'clock in the morning because the blizzard was so terrible the wind was so contrary, the snow was so blinding, and the soldiers were being ter- uh, were being pressed so hard oppressed so hard by the weather that he was already four hours late so then he did a force marched nine miles one of the uh, one of the annotators of this time said that you could count. Um, Many of the poor soldiers are quite barefoot and ill-clad, wrote one of the officers on the scene. Their route was easily traced as there was a little snow on the ground, which was tinged here and there with blood from the feet of the men who wore broken shoes. Another man recalled, an army was destitute, our army was destitute of shoes and clothing. It was snowing at this time, and the night was unusually stormy. Several of the men froze to death. And this is before they even got to the fight. This is the day after Christmas. Not wanting to lose any more of his troops, Washington shouted encouragement to the men. Soldiers, keep by your officers. He was like a preacher. Stay by your preachers. Stay by your Christian friends. Stay by your Bible. Stay by your prayers. For God's sake, keep by your officers. And you could hear General Washington, as he would raise up on his stirrups. he'd say, Press on, boys! Press on! The Americans arrived at the outskirts of Trenton just before 8 o'clock in the morning. Because of the blizzard and the snow, they were unseen, and so they were within 200 yards of the Hessian troops before they recognized the fact that they had come. And then, at that point, they could hear, Dear Fiend, Horatius," Heratus, which is Hessian for the enemy, turn out, turn out! And some people have speculated that the Hessens were like drunk and unready. The Hessens were literally like special forces. They were not drunk. They were not, they slept in their uniforms with their weapons loaded. So they knew exactly what was going on. Washington had the grace of God with him. Shots were fired. The Americans charged, some yelling, these are the times that try men's souls coming from Thomas Paine's American crisis. They were so inspired by the writings of Thomas Paine that they would scream them as they would run into the battle. The Hessens disorganized fell back from the onslaught that seemed to come from all around. Small small groups clashed within the city and did house-to-house fighting. Soon smoke from the cannons and muskets filled the streets and combined with the continuing storm added to the confusion and the lack of visibility. Very quickly after entering Trenton, Washington's army captured several Hessian artillery pieces. By this time, the Americans had infiltrated the entire city, and marchmen took up secure positions in houses and behind fences where they could pick off the enemy fighters. American artillery commanded by Bostonian Colonel Henry Knox, namesake of Fort Knox, pummeled the oncoming Hessians. Knox later wrote, Here succeeded a scene of war of which I had often conceived, but never saw before. Another participant captured the uh, the thoughts by saying, my blood chilled to see horrors and distress, blood mingling together, the dying groans and garments rolled in blood, the sight was too much to bear. The Hessian commander, Rall, tried to, tried but failed to rally his men, and acting on faulty intelligence, he assumed that his only escape route was a bridge across the, uh, creek, a, a tributary of the Delaware River, and had been captured by the Marbleheaders, which was an eclectic group of special forces that were, that were on Washington's side, that were comprised of Indians and black folks. That's right. If you are happy to be an American today, you should thank an Indian, thank a black person. <laughs> you, you got, I, are you writing down all the folks that you need to thank later on when you.? Cause I know that you're not. <clears throat> he ordered the Hessians to retreat through an orchard to the southeast. At that moment, two bullets struck the commander on the side. Mortally wounded, he reeled in the saddle. His men attempted to evade the Patriot forces, but the Americans pursued. On horseback, Washington led the attack, urging the Marylanders and his other troops forward, shouting, march on, by brave fellows, after me! And Washington took about a thousand Hessens captive, and it was the first victory for the American Revolution it was on the day after Christmas, 1776. And I hope you know the rest of the story. That was Christmas that Washington specifically decided to lean into the grace of God, believing that this was either going to be the greatest opportunity that God was going to make for this fledgling nation, or they were going to be destroyed because of their pride and arrogancy. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, those of you that have a Bible, I'm going to read this out of the BSB. So also, when we were children, we were enslaved under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, note, fully come. Uh, I've heard multiple messages about these words in the Greek, and I cannot in a very uh, slim time tell you this. But basically what this is, it was this would be the moment, in Greek language, this would be the moment right before abortion. At that moment, right before the human race was about to abort themselves, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive our adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent His Spirit Into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father. No matter who you are in this place, your heart is crying out to your Creator. Who Jesus showed us was a Father. The greatest display of the character of God is Father. God could have, Jesus could have revealed God as all powerful creator. He could have revealed God as, as a miracle. He could have re, revealed God as the parter of the Red Sea. He could have revealed God as, as lightning and thunders and crashes and light and, and all these things. But Jesus revealed God as Father. As Father which is the greatest opportunity for anybody in this room, to really move into a relationship with God. Based upon the statistical reality of the world that we live in, the majority of this room grew up in dysfunctional homes. Mostly due to fathers. And I understand that. Some of you have had good fathers, God bless you, but none of you have had a good father, good as God. So whether you've had a bad father, whether you had no father, or whether you had a relatively good father, you still do not understand Father God. And your heart is crying right now to know Him as Abba, which in the Greek means Daddy. And some of you have never been able to ever say to anyone in your life, Daddy. And right now the Spirit of God is telling your heart, there's one person that you can say Daddy to. And you don't have to worry about being a part of a broken family after you say it. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, you are also an heir of God. And for the gals in the room, you're like, I'm not a son, I'm a daughter. No, you're a son. The Greek word for son is heis, which has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with who you were created to be in the Spirit. There is no male nor female in the Spirit. It has to do with the fact that you were born for a purpose. Just like the firstborn was enumerated in the Old Testament. It has to do with what you are supposed to get as an inheritance. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His his shoulders. And He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David, and over His kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. The zeal, passion, fervency of God is what will accomplish this. Now I'm going to quickly go through the Christmas story. I'm going to highlight some things that are right, that are wrong, and I have no idea where they came from on other parts. In Luke chapter 2, I'm going to just go down this verse by verse. Hopefully this is going to help you. Uh, if you have a nativity scene at your house, don't tell me. And then you won't know that I'm picking on it. Because that nativity scene at your house is a mess, biblically. And it came to pass in those days that there were there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. <laughs> yeah. Tyrants have been tyrants since before there was a word for tyrant. Just like in today's world, the taxes that you're experiencing, you are right now experiencing, everyone in this room, you've experienced a 15% tax just this year through inflation. If you don't recognize it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. If you haven't been paying attention to the price of goods and services, to the price of gasoline, you have been taxed by a tyrannical government who does not want you to prosper. Caesar Augustus also was a person who just kind of did whatever he wanted. Does that remind you of any political leaders in the world today? Uh, There was mandates and requirements for all of the slaves that were in his kingdom that they had to live their lives by and operate by, otherwise they would be put under his thumb. This is the world that Jesus was born into. This is the first Christmas. It was a world that has a lot of parallels to our world. A world that also had a lot of parallels to George Washington's world on December 25th of 1776. And I'm drawing these parallels for you to see so that you understand that the same Christmas miracle that changed time from B.C. to A.D. and the same Christmas miracle that birthed a nation... It's the same Christmas miracle that you and I can anticipate for our lives today. The next verse, this tyrant learned it from some other tyrant. That's how tyrants work. They see other tyrants doing tyrannical things and then they just copy them. If you're not paying attention, everything that's going on in our nation comes right out of the communist and socialist playbooks on how you take over a nation. That's the reason that they are lying to your children about history. That's the reason for CRT. That's the reason that they are telling boys that they're not boys and girls that they're not girls. And that's the reason that there's so much dis- sexual dysfunction in our world. It's to get everybody to understand that they need to be controlled by someone smarter than them. Socialists, communists would love the opportunity to take all of the feeble-minded, what they call uh, as useless eaters... Or useful idiots, whichever one you want to embrace, they would love to take and control your lives because they know, and sometimes the people actually know, that they don't have the ability to control their own lives, so they need someone else to control it. We also, as believers, understand that we don't have the wisdom to control our own lives as well. The difference is is that we recognize that God is way smarter than us has way more power and ability. Jeremiah said, it is not within man to guide his own steps. What happened was the socialists and the communists understood that this biblical principle existed in all of mankind. That people come to the reality that they don't have the ability to control every part of their own lives and do it well and do it successfully. And so they want to control you. God does not want control over you. God wants to show you the way that you were meant to live in freedom and liberty. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And that's why the birth of this nation was birthed under the, precess, the precept of liberty and freedom. Because only through liberty and freedom can a person actually truly yield themselves over to something that's better than themselves. Those of you that think That you can force someone to love you. This is why God does not force anybody in this room to do anything. Because you cannot force love. The only way to love is in freedom. Those of you that think that uh, you're in love with someone or in love with something and you have not actually been born again and been set free by the Son, you're not actually operating in love. Because only free people can love. Unfree people can perform. So many people are performing for love. Many people are doing what they think is necessary for someone else to give them adoration, but you're not actually free because the moment you turn it off is the moment that your adoration ceases. Many people live their lives this way that the Old Testament annotated, which is prostitution. You give up parts of your life You give up parts of the way that you live to someone else so that you can get the reward from them that you need. That is called prostitution. And I'm sorry that that's offensive and some people don't like that, but it's a reality of how a lot of people live their lives. They give up freedoms and liberties to another person so that they can pay them. And that is not the way that you were created to live. Verse 3, And all went to be taxed. Everyone into his own city. Verse 4, And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread as the bread of life. Because he was of the lineage of David. And Bethlehem was the hometown of David. Verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife. Which means they were engaged. Uh, the Bible is very clear that people that live together are not married. People that are engaged are not married. People that are married are married. Uh, I know, i hate to have to say that in church. Because that's not where people want to hear that. Being great with child, she was approximately eight and a quarter months pregnant. Mary was probably 13. She was between 12 and 14. Mary was a 13-year-old girl who was eight months pregnant, who had to go 80 miles with her fiancé to go get taxed. I know your life is terrible. The nativity scene of Mary riding on a donkey, there is no biblical precedent for that. If they did have a donkey, it was likely to carry all the stuff that they needed in order to take the three week trip and to be there for the next two weeks. And the fact that Joseph was probably a wise man and he knew that they were about to give birth. So whatever stuff they needed to take for all of this activity was likely on the donkey. If they had a donkey, if they didn't have a donkey, they were carrying it. Thirteen-year-old, eight-month pregnant girl walking 80 miles. I can tell you this is the reason that many people are not having these radical, powerful encounters with God. Because they are nowhere near being willing to do something like that for God. Most of us won't even forego a lunch to be with God. And here's a 13-year-old girl who is willing to take the Savior of the world into her womb and walk 80 miles, 8 months pregnant, to go be taxed from a tyrannical leader. I don't I don't know if that impacts you. But I don't know very many 13-year-old boys, let alone 13-year-old girls. I don't know very many 30-year-old men that would be willing to go through that for God. Which is also why you probably don't have the same miraculous encounters that Mary had. Amen. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was one inn. Bethlehem was a small town. They weren't broke, poor, destitute Mary and Joseph. Joseph was likely of the lineage of David, and so he probably had some uh, assets. They did not stay in an end because there was no room in the end. The fact that... No, I can't say that. I have to move on. Because there was no room for them in the end. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. I could I could rail on for a long time uh and I know all the people that are irritated that I've already gone this long that you don't want to hear that but let me tell you about shepherds actually doing their job that makes God be drawn to those people. I understand we live in a world that uh it is so easy. In fact it's almost popular to pick on pastors. And I get it. I know a few that need to be picked on. Some of the some of the devastation that we're experiencing in our nation and our world right now is because there are limp-wristed, emasculated preachers. That some Christians are paying lots of money to be emasculated and limp-wristed. <laughs> And then we complain because society is emasculated and limp-wristed. And so I'm not picking on the preachers. I'm not picking on the Christians. I'm picking on the entire system that has created it. So whatever role you play, I want you to do it by the grace of God. If you are a believer if you are a Christian and you support ministers who are not actually doing what God needs them to do which is tending the flock of God making sure that society culture and the morality of this nation is guided by biblical principles and the heart of God that they are not re- uh, that those preachers should be resisting evil wickedness tyranny lies manipulation And if they are being paid by people just because great-grandma went to church there and we own a pew? These shepherds were abiding in the field at night in December. It wasn't comfortable. Uh, Most people in this room, statistically, statistically, would trade nearly anything in your life for a little more comfort. Comfort is basically the goal of all Americans. That's what you want. You just want comfort. It is honestly the opposite of people who are courageous. Courageous people go after things that are uncomfortable. They do things out of discipline. They buffet their bodies. They make choices not based upon whether it feels good. They make choices based upon whether it is right or wrong. And they're willing to suffer the consequences. They may have to get up early. They may have to stay up late. They may have to sacrifice self. They may have to do things that are painful But those people also are the ones that end up reaping the rewards of the labor of their efforts. Just like these shepherds who got the greatest message directly from heaven that any shepherd had ever had. But it was because these shepherds were abiding, living in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night, at night, when it's terrible, when it's dark, When everybody else is doing something that's more important, they were diligent about doing what they were called to do and purposed to do. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone right about them, and they jumped up and down and did a Jericho march and said, whoop, whoop. Uh, Those of you that think that every time God shows up in a place that you get warm fuzzies and tingles and... And everything feels wonderful. If if it was God, it would feel really good. Well, you need to read your Bible a little better because oftentimes when God showed up in a place, people were freaked out. When God shows up in a place, the first thing that usually happens, and I've had these kind of experiences, the first thing that happens is that you become very aware of your inadequacies, your failures and your shortcomings. Not because God said it, But because you're just that aware when you're in the presence and the glory and the goodness of God. But here's the cool thing about God. Whenever that happens, you know what he says? Fear not. That's what these messengers, the word angel in the Greek is agalos, and it actually means messenger. If you would translate the word angel in the New Testament every time as messenger, you would find out that there's a lot of things that are called angels that are actually messengers. And there's a lot of times that messengers are angels. But I digress. Hear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to just a few people that go to Christmas service on Sunday morning. For unto you is born. Unto who? Unto you is born. Well, I didn't ask God to born Jesus for me. I didn't need that. It doesn't matter. He provided for you. Because he's a father. Fathers provide for their children, whether their children appreciate it or not, whether their children value it or not, fathers provide. In fact, those of you that are fathers in the room, you probably understand that kids oftentimes don't give a rip about whether you're providing for them or not. And you still do it. Why? Because that's what fathers do. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh, real quick, the word babe in the Greek is the exact same word babe that was in the in the womb of Elizabeth that leapt when Mary showed up. The Bible says that a baby in a womb and a baby out of a womb are the same baby. That should settle the debate for those of you that call yourselves Christians. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Okay, this is where I'm going to mess with your nativity scene. It wasn't some cute little barn with candles and a little bond sheep. This was... Uh, This was a tower that was on the outside of Bethlehem. And this tower was built so that the shepherds could be in the tower and watch for wolves or intruders that would come and mess with their flock. Because these particular sheep that these uh, shepherds were watching were called paschal sheep. These were sheep that were literally being raised by these shepherds to go and be sacrificed. These were the sacrificial lambs. Every one of those sheep that those shepherds were watching were born to die. And that tower was the watch place outside of the inn that these shepherds would climb up into to watch over their sheep. And that tower... Was called the Tower of the Flock. And that was the place that Jesus was born. In the Tower of the Flock, there was a manger, which was a hollowed out stone place. Where they would take the sacrificial lambs and bring them in and inspect them to make sure not one single blemish was on them before they would send them to their death. And so after Jesus was born, he was laid in the manger that was normally reserved for checking out the sacrificial lamb to make sure he had no blemishes. That's why when the angels said, you will find this sign, otherwise you'd go to every stable in Bethlehem. And you'd say, hey, do you got a baby in here? At some point, they'd be throwing rocks at you. They knew exactly where to go, because there was only one place that had a manger. In Micah 4.8 it says, And you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Sovereignty will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Not goodwill among men you guys think that Jesus came so that the wars wouldn't stop, you've never read your Bible. Many wars have been fought because of Jesus. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. In order to make peace, anybody know what, uh, what the pistol of, oh, what was his name from Tombstone? What? John Wayne and Tombstone? It's earlier. Wyatt Earp. Thank you. Wyatt Earp's pistol was called the peacemaker. Which sounds ironic. How do you call a pistol a peacemaker? Because sometimes it takes force to make peace. Jesus didn't come, like some, to sit in the back of your kid's church on a rock with blonde hair and blue eyes and pet a sheep. He came to bring a sword. He came to baptize people in fire. He came to change the world. And the world didn't want to change. So sometimes you got to be a little bit strong in order to change things that don't want to change. All the parents in the room said, Amen. Amen. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. I want to highlight something here real quick. They weren't told to go and see it. They were not told. They were told what it was. And they were told where to find it. But God did not come to these shepherds and say, you better go, I command you. And man, I hope this this impacts folks in this room. I don't, I don't care if you're here because your parents drug you or if you're here because you really want to be here or you're here because you love God. Whatever the reason is that you're here, I want you to understand that just like these shepherds that day when the messenger of God showed up in their life, he told them what they would find and he told them where they would find it and then gave them the freedom and the liberty to decide whether they would go or not. And this is why some people, even in this room, you've rejected religion for a long time. Because you think it's God telling you what to do, or it's people in a church telling you what to do, and you don't want to be told what to do. And I get that. But that is not what we offer here at Beloved Church and also in authentic Christianity. In authentic Christianity, you have a God who tells you what's right and tells you how to find it. And tells you what the best way to live your life looks like. And then gives you the freedom to flip him the bird. Or to take his hand and walk the walk of life. And not everybody makes the right decision. I know that's shocking to everybody that's in a church on Christmas morning. But not everybody makes the right decision. And you are required to love them. And God will always love them as well. Because maybe there's a chance one day they'll make the right decision. And they need to know that people love them through their problems and through their mistakes because that's what God would do. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 and 25, it says, Then comes the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father when he shall have put down all rule, all authority, and all power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. That sounds contradictory. If he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet, then he's not reigning. No, because he reigns in me. And in many in this room, he reigns. And we still have an enemy in our world. Lies, darkness, deceit, destruction, death, misery, oppression, depression, sickness, disease is still walking in our earth. And Jesus reigns. And Jesus reigns in me. And he's anticipating that I would take his reign and go into the darkness of this world and bring light. In the Passion Translation, in the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Jesus came close to them and said, All authority of the universe has been given to me. And some in this room might argue that. Some out there in YouTube land would definitely argue that, that Jesus has all power and all authority in all the universe. But He does. I have... I don't have time for this. I have all power and all authority at my home. And sometimes people do stuff in my house I don't like. Am I the only one? or Do some people, you actually... Like, did you drive here in your car? Did everything in your car happen the way that you wanted it to happen? Just because you have power and authority in a place doesn't mean every single thing that happens there is of your choice. There is death and destruction on this planet. That doesn't mean that God chooses it. God is not sovereign and commanding evil people to go do evil stuff. God is sovereign over those who have given Him control. He is sovereign over my life. Jesus said, All authority in the universe has been given to me. Now wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to be discipling nations, beloved. Many of us aren't even discipling ourselves. We're not we're supposed to be making disciples of nation the nations. The way the reason America is today, what America is today, is because of us, the church. If you don't like what it is out there, Change it. If you don't know how to change it, come back next week because that's what we've been training people to do around here for about 10 years. is how to influence their culture. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. Or maybe just all that they feel like following. Or maybe just all the ones that you like. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. He was born to die to fix the world. And He was resurrected to bring the power that was to fix this world into our lives. And to the degree that you yield to that resurrection power in your life, and you take out His words, into our world, you're going to make disciples of your own life. You'll make disciples of your family, disciples of your neighborhood, discipling your nation, and eventually this world. And then the end will come. On this December 25th, we are crossing from 2021 to 2022. And I honestly believe, honestly, and those of you that have been with me for 10 years, you've never heard this. But I honestly believe that the same thing that we're going from 21 to 22 is going to be as monumental in history as what we went through from 1776 to 1777 and what we went through from 4 B.C. to to 3 B.C. The exact same power and change that came to the people of this earth is what we're about to go into. And you can argue with me and say, I've lost my cookies and I'm off my rocker and I'm whatever. But I'm telling you that this is going to happen... And God is inviting all of you to come and be a part of that. And so I, I am going to, I am going to bless you. While I'm blessing you, there are going to be people that are going to be making their way up here to the altar. These people that are up here at the altar have been discipled on how to pray and believe God with you and for you in different areas of your life if you have never invited Jesus Christ to come and be your personal Lord, that is a necessary first step for you to have what God desires for you to have going into this change. If you have never allowed the Holy Spirit to immerse your life in His way of thinking, His wisdom, then you are right now given an opportunity by these folks. If you heard Sandra tell testimony about cancer being healed, and you are struggling with a sickness or a disease that you don't know, if you're going to be able to ever do anything about it, you actually need a divine encounter. The doctors have done everything they can do, and you're worse still. Then these folks that are up here are trained to help you with that. So if you would, please rise, and I'm going to bless you.
0: Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church... You can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life.
1: I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul your mind your will your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the father desires for you to have we love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon goodbye beloved